evidence and answers. The two most prominent cities mentioned throughout the Bible are Jerusalem and Babylon. Today, the ancient city of Babylon lies in ruins, but the Bible predicts she will arise once again. When will she rise again? And what role will the city play at the end of the age? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Let's tune in now as Pat and Bible scholar Dr. Ron Rhodes discuss the rise of the new Babylon. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, from Genesis to Revelation, the city of Babylon represents the city of man and a focal point of mankind's rebellion against God. Well, today, Babylon lies in ruins, but Scripture predicts that it will one day rise again. When will she rise again, and what role will she play at the end of the age? Well, to help us address this issue is Dr. Ron Rhodes. Ron Rhodes is president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. He's author of over 60 books, including three silver medallion winners, often a keynote speaker at conferences across the United States and the world, been a speaker here at our Evidence and Answers Conference several times here in the state of Hawaii. He has received a master's and a doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary, and we're talking about his new book here, a new Babylon rising. So, Ron, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Well, thank you, Pat. It's good to be with you again. Well, Ron, you know, many know of the Babylonian Empire of history, but some may be surprised to learn that the city will rise once again. Well, you're right about that. And uh, it's interesting how the Bible often talks about territories that were destroyed and then come back to life again. You know, one good example would be Israel. Israel was destroyed way back in A.D. 70 by Titus and his Roman warriors. And at that time, the Jewish people scattered all over the world. But the Bible prophesied that one day Israel would be born again as a nation and the Jewish people would stream back to the Holy Land from every nation in the world. And as you know, Pat, back in 1948, Israel was, in fact, born again as a nation after a long and worldwide dispersion. And ever since that time, Jewish people have been streaming back to the Holy Land. In the same way, the Bible talks about Babylon rising from the dead, as it were, in the end times. And when I began to prepare for writing this book about the role of Babylon in the end times, I was pretty surprised to discover that about 11% of the book of Revelation deals with Babylon. And that's about uh, a tenth of the book. And so what I discovered was that while Jerusalem is the most often mentioned city in the Bible, Babylon is the second most often mentioned city. And isn't it interesting that these two cities come to a, a real heightened presence in the end times? And so I wanted to write a book about this because uh, so much of Scripture deals with it. I might mention to you, Pat, that I actually became a Christian as a result of prophecy. I had never heard of it before. I was in my teenage years, and, you know, I went to a church that was pretty liberal at that time, and I was never exposed to Bible prophecy. But the more I learned about it, and the more that I, I learned about how God can predict the future, and how many of these prophecies are found in the Bible, that's one thing that led me to become a believer in the Lord. And so I'm hoping that someone listening today, maybe, might take the Bible seriously for the first time 
and to recognize that truly this is the Word of God, not only because God can predict the future, but because of the source. God himself is the source of the Bible. Yes, indeed. Now, walk us through very briefly the history of Babylon and its relationship with the nation of Israel, the role it plays in the Bible. We first see it. Many will be surprised that Babylon first appears actually early in the book of Genesis. Well, you're right. Uh, You're talking about Genesis 11, of course, and at that time, Nimrod came into power. Nimrod was the head of this initial Babylon that was created. Uh, You know, back then it was Babel, but that's really Babylon. And Nimrod became both a political head and a religious head, and it's very similar to the role of the Antichrist in terms of the end times Babylon. In fact, there's a lot of comparisons between ancient Nimrod and the way he led ancient Babylon and the end times new Babylon headed up by the Antichrist. And so Nimrod became the political head of Babylon, and Babylon was anti-God. You know, God had called his people to be committed to him, to obey his law, to worship him and him alone, to not engage in idolatry and worship false gods. But Nimrod did all of those things and more. He turned against the one true God and promoted false religion. And he uh, he basically devoted himself to false forms of worship. Anything that was against the true God, basically, Nimrod was into. Isn't it interesting that his name literally means rebel? Oh, yeah. Now, what a name, rebel. It kind of points to his role in rebellion against God. And when he became the head of Babylon, Babylon became a sort of a representative city of rebellion against God. And as you know from ancient history, Babylon would go on to be the great persecutor of God's people. In fact, I'm sure you recall how later on, the head of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, invaded Israel and not only destroyed uh, you know, Jerusalem, but destroyed its temple and looted the temple. And it was believed back then that if you were able to destroy another country's temple and then take possession of the utensils within that temple, such as in the Jewish temple, then that meant that your gods were stronger than the other gods. So Babylon assumed that their gods were stronger than the God of Israel. That's what Nebuchadnezzar concluded. Now, of course, we know from history that Nebuchadnezzar discovered otherwise. He discovered that he wasn't more powerful than Israel's God and that his gods were not more powerful. But that's what he thought at the time. The main point to think about in terms of Babylon, though, Pat, is that it represents rebellion against God. It represents false religion. It represents false worship. It represents disobedience to the one true God. And certainly that's going to be true of end times New Babylon as well. Now, Babylon is eventually conquered and uh, by the Persian Empire and then lies in ruins for centuries. But then we see Babylon mentioned again in Revelation chapter 18. Now, you take this reference to Babylon to mean the literal city of Babylon, and there are many others who interpret differently, but what is the basis for your interpretation of Babylon being the literal city that rises again in Revelation 18? Well, you're right. There's a lot of different interpretations of uh, Babylon in the end time. Some people say it's the Roman Catholic Church, or maybe even Rome itself. Some people have said Jerusalem, or maybe Mecca where the, uh, the Muslims are found worshiping Allah. But one of the reasons why I believe that Babylon will be a literal city is 
First of all, all the other locations listed in the book of Revelation are literal locations. We read about the city of Ephesus and the city of Smyrna, the city of Pergamum and the city of Thyatira, the city of Sardis, the city of Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We read about Asia in Revelation chapter 1-4, and we read about the Euphrates River in Revelation 9. And when we read about Babylon, Babylon is said to be along the Euphrates River, just like ancient Babylon. Now here's the thing, Pat. Not only are all the other cities that are mentioned in the book of Revelation literal cities, but one thing that you discover when you read through the book of Revelation is that it draws very, very heavily from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, Babylon all refers to a literal city. It's never used as a metaphor for something else. It's always a literal city. Now, one of the best examples of that, Pat, is Jeremiah 50 and 51. Here's something that you might try to do sometime, Pat. In one column, list all the characteristics of Babylon under Jeremiah 50 and 51. And then in the second column, list all the characteristics of Babylon in Revelation chapters 17 and 18. You're going to see them practically identical. For example, both of them mention how Babylon dwells by many waters. Both passages talk about how the whole earth is made drunk in the false religion of Babylon. Both of them speak of the sudden fall of Babylon. I could go on and on and give you many illustrations here, Pat, but the point that I'm making is that when Jeremiah made this prophecy about Babylon in Jeremiah 50, he was talking about end times Babylon. These prophecies have not been fulfilled yet that, that are found in the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is talking about literal Babylon along the Euphrates River. And John, in the book of Revelation, quotes in many parts, almost word for word, from Jeremiah 51. So if you compare the two sets of passages, I don't see how you can get around the fact that they're both referring to a literal Babylon. Now, I could go on. There's a lot more evidences for a literal Babylon. But I know what you're thinking, Pat. I'm not a prophet or a mind reader or anything like that. But you're probably wondering how the term Mystery Babylon falls into this picture. Am I right? Yes, and I'm sure many of our listeners out there are thinking that as well. Well, in fact, there's a passage in Revelation 17, verse 5, that many believe refers to Mystery Babylon. And that's based on the King James Version. And if there is such a thing as Mystery Babylon, then that would seem to give credence to the idea that maybe Babylon is a metaphorical reference to something else, like the Roman Catholic Church, or maybe Rome, or maybe some other city. The problem is, and the question is, does the Bible actually make reference to Mystery Babylon? I personally don't think it does. You do find a King James renderings talking about Mystery Babylon in Revelation 17, verse 5, but no modern translation renders it that way. Almost every Greek scholar today believes that the King James rendering is incorrect. And, you know, I don't want to get all Greek on you, but if I could just explain it to you this way. If the words Mystery and Babylon belong together in Revelation 17, we would expect them to have the same gender. However, mystery is neuter in the Greek, while Babylon is feminine. They don't belong together. The words have different genders, but the word mystery does belong with the word name in the same verse, since the word name is neuter, just like Babylon is neuter. So Babylon has a mysterious name, 
but there is no mystery Babylon. Does that make sense? I know that was kind of technical, but the point is the Bible doesn't really refer to mystery Babylon. That's a wrong translation from the King James Version. And I know that some of my pro-King James Version friends will yes. take me to task on that, and that's okay. <laughs> but I think it's something to think about. You know, when you look at the original Greek, and when you look at the fact that they have different genders, you know, genders mean a lot in the original Greek. Maybe not so much in English, but in the Greek it meant a lot. So that's a real problem for that viewpoint. Yes, and speaking of that, a common view is that this reference to Babylon in Revelation refers to Rome. And sometimes in Scripture, Babylon is believed to be used as a code name for Rome. For example, in 1 Peter 5, 13, many people feel when Peter concludes his letters and says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so Peter there is writing from Rome. So is there a problem with Babylon here in Revelation being the city of Rome? Well, you know, many of my friends hold to the Rome viewpoint, and I certainly respect their viewpoint, and I would never divide with my friends over this issue. So I just want to sort of say that up front. But I personally don't see this as referring to Rome because there's a number of problems with that viewpoint. First of all, Rome did not fall suddenly or dramatically or completely or permanently, as is true of Babylon in Revelation 18. Rome's decline was actually a very slow process. Rome the city fell in 476 AD, but the entire Roman Empire did not finally succumb until 1453, you know, like a thousand years later. So it was a very slow deterioration. But in the book of Revelation, the destruction of Babylon takes place in a day. I mean, it's just like going up in flames in a single day. Besides that, Rome is not located in a desert or a wilderness like Babylon is said to be. Rome is not a seaport city, as is true of Babylon, described in Revelation 17 and 18. Now, there are some who say that the, the reference to the seven hills must be a reference to Rome. And then this is one of the main arguments of some of my friends. However, when you look at the context, Pat, the seven hills are clearly metaphorical. They are referring to seven mountains, according to chapter 17, verse 9. And it's referring to seven different kingdoms, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the kingdom of the Antichrist. And the point that's being made in that passage is that false paganized religion influenced all of those empires. And this reference to the seven hills is just basically a metaphorical way of describing these different kingdoms influenced by false religion. And so it's not literal. It's not literal seven hills like Rome would have, but rather it's a metaphor. And so, you know, those are some of the problems that I would have with that viewpoint. Again, I don't divide over that issue. Some of my friends hold to that viewpoint, but I just don't think it meshes well with Scripture. Yes, and there's another popular view here is that Babylon here refers to the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what are some problems you see with that view? Well, yeah, you know, this view became super popular back in the Reformation period. And the idea was that the Roman Catholic Church was unfaithful and was a, you know, forgive the use of the word prostitute. That's the word that's actually used in Scripture. And the word prostitute carries the idea of corruption, a corruption of Christianity. And so the Reformers thought that that fit well with the Roman Catholic Church. And you also find reference in the book of Revelation to clothing made of purple and scarlet. And there's references to various kinds of gems. 
And some people have thought that maybe that looks like some of the cardinals affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church. And the reference in Revelation to how the woman was drunk from the blood of the saints may refer to Roman Catholics, uh, you know, persecution and even martyrdom of countless Protestant Christians throughout history. That's the idea that many people have had through the years. But, you know, there's a lot of problems with this Roman Catholic viewpoint, too. First of all, even though the Roman Catholic Church is a wealthy church, it is certainly not the global, economic, and commercial, and political powerhouse described in Revelation 18. Roman Catholicism has never ruled over all the political leaders of the world and the nations of the world, as will be true of Babylon in the end times. And furthermore, if Roman Catholicism were destroyed, I hardly think that the merchants and the businessmen and the presidents and the kings and the leaders of the world would woefully lament as they do when New Babylon will be destroyed in the future. Nor has Roman Catholicism engaged in slave trade, as does New Babylon. I mean, really, there's just one point after another that I could make here. Now, Pat, don't get the idea that I'm, I'm defending the problems that are in Roman Catholicism. I've written two books on Roman Catholicism, pointing out the doctrinal problems with Roman Catholicism. And so nobody could ever accuse me of being soft on Roman Catholicism. But I don't think Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18 is a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. There's just too much that goes against that idea. You know, another more recent view with the rise of what's going on in the Middle East is that Babylon refers to the city of Mecca and that the Antichrist will perhaps be a Muslim. Now, what are some problems you see with that view? Well, that is a more popular view these days. It's uh, championed by my friend Joel Richardson, and though I uh, really like Joel a lot as a Christian, I certainly uh, have a lot of differences with him on this issue. He does believe that Mecca will be Babylon in the end times, and that the Antichrist will be a Muslim, and that the Antichrist will imp impose the false religion of Islam upon the entire world. As for problems with this viewpoint, I don't think that this really properly accounts for the Ezekiel invasion that we read about in Ezekiel 36 through 39. When the Muslim nations such as Iran and Sudan and Turkey and Libya and other Muslim nations invade Israel, God will utterly destroy the Muslim invaders. And in fact, it says that God will rain down fire on Magog and on all your allies who live safely on the coasts. And that's referring to Muslim lands. And this likely refers not just to military targets, but also religious centers and mosques and madrasas and Islamic schools and universities and, you know, everything else that's anti-God. And I believe that, uh, Pat, this is probably an outworking of the ancient Abrahamic covenant where God said, I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So here's the big question for you. How will it be possible for a Muslim Antichrist and a Muslim Babylon, Mecca, to rise from the ashes in the aftermath of the Ezekiel invasion? I don't think it will be possible. Not only that, but Daniel 9.26 indicates that the Antichrist will not be a Muslim, but will be a Roman from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. And uh, it is certainly inconceivable that the Jewish nation would trust their security to a Muslim leader that represents a number of nations who want to push Israel into sea and to wipe Israel off the map. 
it just doesn't seem to fit to have this idea of a Muslim antichrist heading up a Muslim Babylon, so to speak. So again, I, I respect my friends who may hold to this viewpoint, but to me, there's just too much biblically that stands against it. Yes, and to expound on what you're saying, Ezekiel 38, 39, the prophecy of Gog and Magog, it's a huge Muslim coalition, including countries you know, like Iran, the biggest Muslim nation out there, Turkey, Libya, and others. And this battle you're talking about occurs early, you know, right after the rapture, just before the tribulation starts. These are just the major cities that are mentioned, uh, major nations that are mentioned. Right. Perhaps other less prominent nations that also join the coalition, and they are wiped yes. out, you know, early in the tribulation, and then they turn around and say, well, and just a year or two later, they become the powerhouse nation of the world. Makes it an unlikely scenario, as you're saying. Well, you know, and it's interesting the way that it's described in Ezekiel, Pat. There's this massive invasion. You know, if you look at Israel, it's like 9,000 square miles. It's like the size of New Jersey, surrounded by millions and millions of Arab Muslim territory. And so this massive Muslim invasion is taking place. And if you can imagine just countless Muslims invading into Israel, shouting out Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, you know, and they're trying to give glory to Allah in this invasion. And all of a sudden, the one true God steps up and destroys the invading forces. You see, the book of Ezekiel tells us that God will give a mighty testimony of his power in that day so that people all around the world will know that this was an act of God that destroyed the Muslim invaders. You might look at it this way. God's deliverance of Israel from the mighty Egyptians was deliverance part one. Deliverance part two will be God's mighty deliverance of Israel from the Muslim invaders in this Ezekiel invasion. And you're right, God's destruction will be comprehensive. And how a world empire not just a political empire, but a world religious empire could rise from the ashes of that destruction seems inconceivable. Yes, and you know, one of the strongest critics of those of us who interpret Revelation literally, uh, we are in the premillennial camp, but one of the strongest critics are our friends, the preterists, who believe that the book of Revelation is fulfilled in the first century with the fall of Jerusalem. And so the preterists view this new Babylon is the first century Jerusalem. What are some problems you see with that interpretation? Well, you know, that is a popular viewpoint. Uh, and the idea there was is that the covenants made with Israel depended upon Israel's faithfulness. But Israel was unfaithful. And because Israel was unfaithful, Israel was viewed as a prostitute. And so the language in the uh, book of Revelation referring to the prostitute must refer to Jerusalem. We know also that Jerusalem was responsible for killing Old Testament prophets, and so therefore this seems to fit Babylon. That's basically the argumentation that's given. But again, there are many, many problems against this viewpoint. First of all, the evidence is solidly against the idea that the book of Revelation predates A.D. 70. You know, as if Jerusalem's fall under the Romans was the fulfillment of a book of Revelation written prior to that time. That's just not the way it happened. Revelation was written in the 90s, and the evidence really does support that. 
Uh, for example, Irenaeus in the second century declared that Revelation had been written towards the end of the reign of Domitian, and that was like toward 96 AD. That's pretty late. It's far after 70 AD. And then later writers like Clement of Alexandria and Origen and Victorinus and Eusebius and Jerome all affirm this late date of the book of Revelation. And so it hardly seems feasible to say that this book of Revelation written in the mid to late 90s refers prophetically to an event that took place 25 years previous. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, please give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Evidence and Answers.